Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. You know, just kind of a few fun facts about Scripture, about the, the Bible. The Bible every year is the most, is the best-selling book every year, year after year. And so, you know, you can go online and find bestsellers and that kind of thing. And they just stopped tracking Scripture with that because the Bible every year just dominates the, the marketplace. It's an estimated 44 million Bibles are sold every year. And so other books don't even compete. So to try to give the other books a, a chance, like Harry Potter or whoever, right, like they just took, you know, holy scriptures kind of out, out of the running. Um, the Bible has been translated into 2,000 different languages. Again, completely just demolishes the competition. Uh, the next most translated book uh, barely hits a tenth of that, uh, which is still impressive, right, to get translated into, you know, close to 200 languages. But uh, with 2,000 languages, I mean, just no other book compares. And it continues to be translated into other languages as well. Incidentally, um, you know, in English, we are very blessed because we actually have multiple English translations of Scripture, and that's actually kind of unique. Not all languages get that. I mean, I remember we had uh, a a couple come from Quebec, and and so French is the native language, and they were surprised by all the translations that we had because they said, like, we have the French Bible, right? And you got, like, ESV and NIV and NASB and and all that other kind of stuff. And part of it kind of makes sense. There there can be benefit from looking at the different translations. And I often use this example on just explaining why we do have different translations. Uh, You know, we have a saying in English that said, you know, well, it's raining cats and dogs. Okay? Well, how would you translate that into, like, Spanish or French? Okay? Like, would you go literal and be like, it was raining so hard, small animals fell from the sky? Or would you just go thought for thought and be like, it rained really hard, right? So there's, there's different ways that, that you can translate stuff. Um, the Bible is um, the most influential book ever produced. Uh, on her coronation day, Queen Victoria was handed a Bible with this inscription. We present to you with this book the most valuable thing this world affords. The YouVersion Bible app has been downloaded on over 430 million devices. On there, you can get 2,062 Bible versions in 1,372 languages. It's all for free. It's all without advertising. The Bible itself was written by some 40 different authors over a time span of roughly 1,600 years. And the authors came from all walks of life. They were kings, scholars, poor people, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, teachers, prophets, doctors. They wrote in different kinds of styles. Some wrote history, some wrote poetry, some wrote prophecy, some wrote letters to to friends. Uh, It was written in three different languages. It was written mainly in Hebrew and Greek, but also a little bit of Aramaic. And it was written on three different continents. It was written on Africa, Asia, and Europe. Pope Francis wrote, uh, We do not blindly seek God. Or wait for him to speak to us first. For God has already spoken, and there is nothing further that we need to know which has not been revealed to us. 
Let us receive the sublime treasure of the revealed word. So it's always a special time to, to be able to, to hand out Bibles. And, you know, I, I, as a church, you know, like you kind of expected, right? But, but there, there is deep kind of reason and meaning and significant on, significance on why we do hand out Bibles. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we must consider it relevant or true or, or important. I think most people in, in this audience, I mean, I, I know most of you pretty well, I, I think most people would agree that, that the Bible is true, right? That we would consider it the revealed Word of God, and, and we would be good with that. But I, I'm not sure that most of us, though, could really defend that idea to our friends or to a colleague. Like, if someone really kind of pushed back and see, yeah, right, okay, like, prove it. Like, I, I'm not sure most of us could, could, could really kind of handle that that well, because he, here's, here's the thing, is that, you know, when, when it comes to Christ— when, when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to Christianity, like if we take this stuff seriously, there's not really a halfway option. Like it, it, if we're gonna, if we really take, you know, Jesus and what He said and what Scripture tells us, it really kind of demands an all or nothing response. Like there, there really isn't wiggle room for kind of the half-hearted, like, man, I'm gonna do this part way, right? Now, lots of people do, or lots of people try. But, but really, in many ways, it, it, it's kind of living a lie, right? I mean, because if this is true, then it, then it demands everything from us. But if it's false, like, good heavens, like, let's just call it a morning and go out for waffles. Like, honestly, let's stop wasting our time here, right? So, so like, what's our, what's our response going to be on this? The, the truth claims of Jesus, of Scripture, really only allow two options, and that's total commitment— or really just total abandonment. We, we don't kind of get a, a middle ground. So it's worth examining to say, okay, if, if I'm going to give my all to this thing, like, like is it true? Like, I mean, can, you know, can we press in a, a little bit and, and really kind of test it and see if it's, it's valuable? Apologetics, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird word because it sounds like you're making apology, but apologetics is actually the, the term that we when we talk about like defending your faith or defending scripture there is a lot a lot of excellent easy accessible material out there there's books and youtube videos podcasts you should check them out seniors a couple references for you just a couple youtube channels that that i have enjoyed um the first one a one minute apologist by by bobby conway has had some great material where he will um interview different uh kind of key um ap- apologists in the field and have short little conversations with them. Another one is Cross-Examined by Frank Turek. Um, also has, uh, just from what I've seen, some, some great material. And then pretty much anything by Ravi Zacharias. Now, I mean, Ravi passed away uh, this last year, but there's lots of great videos out there. He's written books, and I mean, he has a whole kind of organization uh, where they employ different people. It's really good. I, I will say, I mean, I haven't listened to 100% of their content, so there might be a few flyers in there that this may be a little bit odd, but I will just say that from what I have encountered so far, this has been really helpful. And seniors, especially as you guys head out into universities, these are videos that would be really helpful for you in just getting uh, acquainted with. And sometimes you just need to look up one topic just real quick to you know get a response, and these could be really helpful for you. So uh, I, I think you can break this down kind of three ways, three questions on just on what do we do with this one is that 
you know, is what we have today what was written? I mean, the most recent stuff was written 2,000 years ago, and the older stuff goes well beyond that. And that's, I mean, you think 2,000 years ago, like, that's really something that we take for granted because anymore we can just, like, hit save or hit send or, you know, track changes or that kind of thing. But for centuries, record-keeping was written by hand and copied by hand. I mean, which sounds bad, and I have horrible penmanship, and I'm not... But anyway, like, so for centuries, that's how record-keeping was, was done. And so really, I mean, kind of the first question is just, is what we have today the same as what was written 2,000 years ago and beyond? Secondly, I would say is, okay, is what was written actually historic, historically accurate from that time period? Or, or was it made up, or, or was it a lie, or, or that kind of thing? And then the, the third question, and really kind of the most significant question, and that is, is what was written truly the Word of God? And that one gets a little bit harder, but, but that's the kind of third and most important question. For the first question, you know, is what we have what was written? There's a fantastic video series called the Alpha Video Series, some that we did here a, a little while ago. And, uh, and in one of their videos, they explore this. And so I'm actually going to... We're going to roll that. I'm going to let Al Alistair McGarth um, explain that one. He's a professor at Oxford University. Uh, really examining, is what we have today what was written 2,000 years ago? streets around 2,000 years ago. But is there any evidence that he even existed? Well, there's actually quite a lot of evidence. No serious historian would deny that Jesus existed. The Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius wrote about Jesus, as did the first century Jewish historian Josephus. He described him as Jesus, a doer of wonderful works, and then he goes on to describe his crucifixion and alleged resurrection. So there's evidence outside of the New Testament for the existence of Jesus, but most of the evidence comes from within inside the New Testament. And sometimes people say, well, the New Testament was written such a long time ago. How do we know what was written down hasn't been changed over the years? Well, the answer is that we do know because of a science called textual criticism. Textual criticism examines a number of copies of early texts that we have available to us today. And it looks at the time gap between the original document and the earliest copy that we have. And basically, the more manuscripts we have and the earlier they are, the less doubt there's going to be about the original. So let's compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools and universities. 
Let's look at the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides. They both wrote in the 5th century BC. But the earliest copy of their writings that we have dates from AD 900, and that makes a 1,300-year time lapse. And even then, we only have eight copies of these manuscripts in the first place. Or look at the Roman historian Tacitus. There's a thousand-year gap between his book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies. Or another classic, Caesar's Gallic War, 950 years between the book being written and our first manuscript copy. And even then, we only have nine or ten copies of these manuscripts. Again, with Livy's famous history of Rome, a 900-year gap between the book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies of this. But when it comes to the New Testament, well, it's very different. The New Testament was written between about 40 and 100 AD, and we have manuscript evidence going back as early as 130 AD, and full manuscripts by 350 AD. And we have more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin translations, and 9,300 others. So, you know, we can be pretty confident in the accuracy, the authenticity, and the integrity of the New Testament scriptures that have been passed down to us today. The remarkable thing about the Bible is there's such a short chronological distance between the events being described and our first manuscripts. So in many ways, the Bible scholars are in a very fortunate position of being able to check these things out and finding that they are much more reliable than, for example, some of the alternatives you're looking at. And as a scholar, I am more than happy to say, I trust this, I take it very, very seriously, I rely on it. Professor F.J.A. Hort, one of the greatest scholars in the area of textual criticism, concluded that, in the variety and fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone amongst ancient prose writings, and no secular historian would disagree with that conclusion. video series. That was from their, their second video examining, you know, whether or not Jesus was a real person and how can we, you know, even just believe that he existed and that kind of thing. When it comes to textual criticism, I mean, scripture is so far, so far ahead of just any of the competition, right? I mean, 5,300 Greek, you know, copies alone, you know, and, you know, like the next best is like 20 copies and that there's that thousand year distance. And so it's really remarkable. Um, the Old Testament is, um, we also have fantastic proof on the Old Testament. It's not quite a, as solid as this, um, but I will see, say that one, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, again, brought in incredible confidence in what we have written. And the other thing, too, I would point out is just simply the practice of how copies were made. So scribes were the ones that were responsible for copying the manuscripts. And you have to remember that, you know, back then, Scripture wasn't something that everyone had in the home. Scripture was written out on, on these very long scrolls, and they were primarily kept in the temple. And so, you know, you didn't go home and read the Bible. You went to the temple where there was one copy, and then that was read aloud, and you would listen to it. And so a copy was a very uh, rare thing. It was very expensive. It was very time-consuming. I mean, this was sometime, someone's full-time job for, you know, several weeks to make one copy of a text. But within that, they were very... Um, careful in that copying, and if a error was made, then the entire manuscript had to be destroyed. And so the practice of how they made 
copies of the manuscripts was just very rigorous. Even theologically, we have confidence because, uh, you know, it, in what was written. Jesus writes in Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 1 Peter 1.25 talks about the word of the Lord remains forever. And so this idea even just that, you know, Scripture is, is eternal. Uh, so incredible confidence that our Bible matches up with original manuscripts. But really kind of the next follow-up question, though, is are those manuscripts any good? I mean, we, we're pretty confident that what we have aligns with what was written 2,000 years ago. But what was written 2,000 years ago, is, is that any good? I mean, did they write down truth? Or did they just make up stories? Or, you know, I mean, like, how do we, how do we trust it? And uh, again, there's a couple reasons of, of why we can just have incredible confidence in, in what was written. First of all, and he mentioned this, is just the date that it was written, the early testimony. Uh, almost everything was written prior to 70 A.D. That means that everything was written within 40 years of the life of Christ. So with it really within one generation or less from the life of Christ, we have people writing stuff down. And so just that early testimony which connects to the second point, and that is that it was eyewitness testimony. And eyewitness testimony is always the, the best testimony. And really, even in a court of law, you always want eyewitness testimony, right? I mean, if we're, uh, let's say hypothetically, you know, I go to the window, I look out, and, you know, I see two cars uh, get into a fender bender, okay? You all may have heard it. You may all have seen my reaction. You may all have heard me report on what I just saw. But really, I'm the only one who has eyewitness testimony because I was I was the one watching. So I, eyewitness testimony is incredibly significant. Uh, it's reported that in just the books of Acts and John, we have close to 140 details that really could only be observed, you know, like firsthand observation. Uh, in Second Peter, we just went through the, the book of Second Peter, and the defense that, that Peter gives is that I was there. Like he give, His defense is that he was firsthand eyewitness testimony to the life and the teachings of Jesus. The third thing, why, why we can trust it, and this is kind of odd, but embarrassing detail. The authors of Scripture included details that you would never include like if you were making this stuff up. Because it's embarrassing, and in that area, it would have been super embarrassing, right? To have one of your most significant leaders, Peter, where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, like that, you're not going to, like, you don't post that online, right? Like, my boss called me Satan. It was awkward, okay? Right? Like, you don't include stuff like that. Um, you would not include that Peter denied Christ three times. Uh, you would not include that you know, all the disciple or, you know, the 12 apostles ran away out of fear. And then it was the women folk who actually stayed around and, and watched things and were the brave ones. Like you don't, you don't include that. Um, and so there's this, this element of that. They included all this embarrassing testimony. Also excruciating testimony of the 12 uh, apostles. Uh, it legend holds that 11 out of the 12 died martyrs. And the 12, they tried to kill him. They, they dumped him in boiling oil, but somehow he survived uh, and finished out his, his days on some island. And so, you know, if this is made, like, you don't suffer an excruciating death for a hoax that you made up. 
Like, like you just don't. And you don't have 12 people that are so committed to a lie that they're all going to die a martyr's death. And especially when you look at their, like, they didn't get anything out of it. Like, there were no riches. There was no power. Like, there was no glory. Like, they died martyrs and homeless and poor and nomads and that kind of thing. Expected testimony. The Old Testament contains prophecy about Christ and actually about otherworldly events. And, 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 but the prophecies, like, they, they are thoughts that no one would have thought true at the time, and yet they came true. And there's, I mean, just around Christ alone, there's dozens of different process, prophecies, different world events. A few examples. So sometime before 500 B.C., the prophet Daniel proclaimed that Israel's long-awaited Messiah would begin his ministry 483 years after uh, the, the a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And he uh, further predicted that the Messiah would be cut off, so in other words, killed, and that this place would take place prior to a second destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, 700 B.C., the prophet Micah named the tiny village of Bethlehem as the birthplace of, of um, the Messiah. Uh, 5th century B.C., a prophet named Zechariah declared that the Messiah would be betrayed for the price of a slave. So that's 30 pieces of silver. Um, and then according to Jewish law, that this money would also be used to buy a burial ground for Jerusalem's poor foreigners, right? And so you just you have all of this stuff that lines up in regards to prophecy, not only around Christ and, and, and all these future events. And, the, and I've, I've not walked through it in detail, but I've told that Really, if you look at all the, the prophecy, like, your your only conclusion is Jesus. Like, it's not—we're not waiting for someone else. Like, everything had to have happened in that, that time frame. The last reason would just be extra-biblical testimony. It is hard. It is really, really hard to find historical documents from 2,000 years ago about anyone. And yet, we have up to 10 different extra-biblical references about Christ— and about the, the followers of Christ from that area. People either naming Jesus specifically or the followers of Jesus or, you know, I mean, they mentioned one about his resurrection and, and crucifixion. And so you have these um, other sources outside Scripture referencing, referencing Jesus and referencing the early Christian movement. But all of this leads to the most important question of all, and that is, is this really the spoken word of God? Like, I mean, can we really take it that far. I mean, we, we can say pretty confidently that, that what was written aligns with what was written 2,000 years ago. We can say pretty confidently that what was written 2,000 years ago does align with true history, that, I mean, this was not made up, that, that, that those are detailed. But, but can you kind of take up that last step and say, we're forced to conclude that Scripture is the true and complete and authoritative, you know, Word of God. And I kind of two two ideas on this. One, I think we can. Uh, I think that that the evidence would would indeed really kind of force the the, the point that, that we would have to logically conclude that this is the word of God. That said, I also believe that you know you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And, and some people, for whatever reason, out of stubbornness or pain or pride or, or just other external influences or social pressure. They will continue to deny that the Bible is from God. And uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, uh, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, who is the image of God. So when it, comes to, when it comes to this topic, is Scripture the Word of God? I mean, as much as we can go after this logically, and I'm going to give you a few points here in just a minute, at the same time we have to remember that logic alone rarely convinces. There has to be a work of the Holy Spirit within their life to help them accept and, and embrace that truth. And we can contribute to that through, through the act of, of prayer. But, you know, a, a discussion about whether or not the Bible can be trusted is, is rarely concluded on, on pure logic. There has to be that involvement of the Holy Spirit working in their life. And on this, you know, I, I would give you three things. I would say that, that Scripture, it claims to be, uh, it seems to be, and it proves to be. It claims to be. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. And then he, he gives you four different ways that it's profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. And so Scripture is claiming to be the breathed out Word of God. Also, Jesus says that, that Scripture is eternal. Uh, I, you know, from, from what we see in, in other scriptures, I think that, that, that we can conclude that when it comes to God and when it comes to, to eternity, that only perfection can dwell with God, right? Sin is not permitted to dwell with God in eternity. And so if we believe Jesus, then we must believe that what he said about scripture and Jesus viewed scripture as true and from God. It's interesting, too, to look at how Jesus viewed the Old Testament, right? Because that, that's one of the follow-up questions, like, like, you know, does the Old Testament kind of have the same validity as the New Testament? Jesus quoted or cited 14 different Old Testament books. He, he believed that certain people existed. He believed that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and, and Queen of Sheba and Elijah and Elisha, he referenced all of these as actual people, even Adam and Eve. Um, Jesus believed that the stories of the Old Testament were factual. He treated them as true literal events. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jonah, Moses writing the law. He treated those as actual events, not just symbolism. And ultimately, I mean, kind of depend on, on how you interpret John 5.39, Jesus seems to view the entire Old Testament as a completed authoritative work inspired by God. And so if we're going to believe Jesus, then we have to believe the words of Jesus, and he really seems to infer, uh, affirm the entirety of of the Old Testament. So, Scripture itself claims to be from God. Secondly, it seems to be, and that, that is just that when I read it, and when you read it, does it have the ring of truth about it? And the more you familiarize yourself, does it seem like it fits together better and better, or does it feel disconnected? One of the most important things that, that I do in this role is that I teach you Scripture. And so, you know, every week I'm reading and I'm researching and I'm studying and I'm sharing with you what I find. And the more and more I do this and the more and more I study scripture and the more and more I read other people smarter to me, the more I find continuity. I don't find discord. I don't find disharmony. I don't find contradiction. I find unity and I can find conformity to the point where I forget that it's 40 authors over 1600 years. I, be, more and more, I'm drawn not to the idea of 40 authors in 16, 
hundred years. I'm drawn to the idea of the one person, the Holy Spirit, inspiring the entirety of it. Because that is the only way it could have this kind of unity and, and conformity. It just, it, it's not feasible for 66 books written over you know 1,600 years to have this kind of unity unless you have that singular inspiration for all of it. It, it just doesn't hold otherwise. Lastly, uh, Scripture proves to be. There's a couple ways that you could go with this. Um, it kind of some have given you know philosophical arguments about truth and absolute truth and standards and universal logic and that kind of thing. But honestly, I didn't quite follow all what they were saying. Uh, so rather than offer you philosophy, I would just I would offer you personal testimony to say that when I have put this uh, applied this practically in my own life, that I have found it to be true and helpful. And the more I apply it, the more I find it helpful, and the more I disobey it, the more problematic life is. And the ways in which I, I've sensed God speaking to me. Scripture has helped me immensely in understanding the world. I, I mean, I, I look at our world, and, you know, there's chaos, and there's joy, and there's pain, and evil, and celebration, and, and all kinds of good and, and bad, and some of what I see, it psychs me, and and some of what I see disturbs me. But the more I read Scripture, the more I understand what is going on in our world. And to a certain degree, like, it, like I feel like I have reasoning behind both the joy and the chaos. Scripture has helped me give purpose and direction. I, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And, and I think that's true for most people. We have this, this, uh, this desire to be tied into something that transcends us and goes beyond us and started before us and will go, you know, far be beyond us. And I find that in Scripture. I would say in Scripture I have found family. I, I have broken bread with Christians all over the world. And it is a powerful experience. Because what else can give you camaraderie and family literally from almost every tribe, tongue, and nation? The Bible is full of practical wisdom as well, too. Uh, principles on relationships and how to love and forgive others and advice on just good and healthy living and, and how to bring up children and relationships and marriage and working and taking care of elderly relatives and boundaries and guidelines. So we believe that, that through the Bible, God has spoken, but because the author is a living, breathing being, the Bible continues to speak to this day. 2 Timothy 3.16 mentioned this before. All scripture is God-breathed, out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So teaching, right? I mean, how do, how do you live a good life and do these things and don't do those things? Reproof. So that's, that's the scolding. That's the corrective word. That's you know, that's the kind of, like, you're being an idiot, fix it, okay? Um, correction, that's the encouragement, right? That's where the person comes and, you know, puts the arm around your shoulder and kind of gently points you in the right direction. And then equip for, for every good work. You know, knowing Scripture, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like exercise or, or, you know, hitting the weight room, right? So when you're on the field, it just helps you execute the, the plays easier. All that said, the purpose of the Bible 
is not study unto itself. The purpose of the Bible is to bring us into relationship with Jesus Christ and then to bring us into deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The best way to invest in this relationship is to hear from God and to read your Bible. Let me give you two very simple pieces of advice when it comes to, to reading your Bible. First of all, have a plan, right? Seniors, specifically talking to you here, not older seniors like the high school seniors. I mean, I guess it applies to whatever. Yeah, anyway. See, have a plan, okay? Sometimes it can be a little bit easy to get too overambitious. You know, it's going to be like, I'm going to read all the Bible in like nine days. Okay. I mean, yeah, that, go for it if you want to. Um, uh, it, have a plan, but, but have it realistic, right? Ha have, it, have it attainable. Um, when you read the Bible is of importance. If you're not a morning person, don't try the 5 a.m. thing. It doesn't work. If you're not a night person, don't lay in bed in your comfortable pajamas and try to read a little bit before you, you fall asleep, right? Whatever your best time of the day is, go with that. Whatever your best time of the day is, practically carve out a bit of time. Maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes. Build it into your schedule, you know, read a few verses, write down a few thoughts, think about it for the rest of the day, and that kind of thing. But just simply go with whenever your mind is sharpest and whenever you're, you're most free from distraction and and keep it simple secondly is have some kind of accountability partner you know tell someone what you're going to read when you're going to read it uh, that kind of thing accountability is not punishment for when you goof up accountability is support and encouragement to do it right from the beginning okay so accountability is not well i failed to read so you get to hit me in the face with a hockey stick Accountability is, hey, you know, how can I encourage you so that, that you do this, this properly, right? Sometimes we get a warped view of, of accountability. So you got to have a right definition on that one. And the other thing, too, is don't worry about the difficult parts. There will be difficult parts, okay? There will always be difficult parts. But as you understand the rest of Scripture, then the difficult parts sometimes make more sense. And sometimes you look at two verses and you say those seem incompatible, and it's not until you read verses 3, 4, and 5 that provide the key, and now, you know, the first two verses fit. One guy, one guy described it like doing a crossword puzzle, which I take his word for it because I hate crossword puzzles, but he said, you know, you, you get to a clue or a word and you can't figure it out, so you do the words and the clues all around it, and it fills it, fills it in for you. So, if you, so don't get hung up on the difficult stuff. Just keep going, and as, as you kind of work the clues around it, um, it'll come together. If you expect, if you expect God to speak to you through Scripture, He will. If you expect God to speak to you through Scripture, He will. Seniors, you received a lot of great gifts this weekend at your graduation parties, or at least I hope you did. I hope you just made out with all kinds of great stuff. Um, but I can say with absolute confidence that what you hold in your hand is the best gift that's ever been given to you. And not because we gave it to you, but rather because Christ gave this to all humanity. 
Like, this, like to, because within here is the truth and the power to find salvation and life and, and good living. This is the best gift you have ever received. I mean, like, aside from Jesus, but I'm, whatever. It takes you through. So anyways, make the most of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Scripture. Lord, we, we thank you for um, those who have studied and, and researched and, and, and just the ways that we can prove that Scripture is historically reliable, that, that what we have today aligns with, with what was written, and ultimately that, that this is the Word of God, that, that this is from you to us. And so, Lord, we want to study Scripture and know Scripture and read Scripture and enjoy it. But, Lord, we, we recognize that the study of Scripture is not an end of to itself. The point is salvation in you, relationship with you, and then sharing with others that relationship. So, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of Scripture. And for everyone here this morning, especially for the seniors, Lord, I pray that you would release in them just a hunger for your word. That, that during this next year, that there would just be just this insatiable desire to consume scripture, whether it's reading or, or listening to people read or, or whatever it may be. I pray that they would have a hunger that is almost uh, unquenchable, Lord, for your word and, and, and the truth of your word. Lord, I, and I pray that all of us would continue to fall in love with your word and ultimately with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.